The record is inherently about place. It's about belonging and, and connection. It's a polyphonic inertia for those who have learned to dwell fully in the contradictory expanse of self. I've always been drawn to the wild and the untamed landscape. Conifer, plantains, fast-moving water, high places. And I love to take folk on these vast journeys in my songs where... One minute you're on top of a hill and the next you're building a fire on the shoreline or you're felling a tree or digging a ditch. There's forever this shape-shifting movement and trajectory and a, a projection upon nature's most untamed articles in a bit to embody the, the weight and the density of this space, this space that speaks so deeply to me. There's this forest close to home where I, I walk often and, and recently they've been cutting down these large hectares of trees and the devastation that that's had on the, on the remaining areas of the forest has been incalculable. And so these remaining trees in the middle of this planting that were once sheltered by the, the fallen, they, they've barely known a breeze their whole lives and now they're finding themselves in the front lines of this expansive sloping valley that runs right down to the sea just just getting hammered day and night by the wind and some of them have literally been ripped up out of the ground with their roots still intact and you can see their their entrails and there are others that have been snapped in two halfway up their trunk a lot of these trees never conceived that they'd know such hardship and they probably grew with shallow roots accordingly. It's this gnarly apocalyptic chaos on the fringes of the forest, yet if you venture inward it's completely calm and sheltered and you'd never even know that there'd been any such happenstance on the outskirts at all. And I think sometimes that that's what it's like to dwell here. Ireland is a graphic place and yet in the midst of the turbulence and the white noise there will always be those who will brave the wind and face the elements and undilute their creativity to invoke great change in their lifetime and even to their detriment. And I hope that my music reflects some of the, the natural and ethical contours of this place and portrays a life lived on this island. So as most of you uh, have probably picked up by now, I've been... Uh, in the studio working on a record and it's kind of almost uh, ready to go I've uh, got some masters back and I've just got a few wee glitches and tweaks to fix so um, yeah um, the record's called Amelancier and I'm hoping to put it out sometime god I don't know this year now uh, this old virus has really scuppered my plans but uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, maybe, I guess maybe we'll throw a single out in, 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 in April, April time, end of April, May, maybe first, maybe the first of May, let's, like, let's maybe, like, shoot for, like, May 1st, and then, um, it'll be out in Bandcamp, and then, um, the record will be out maybe a month after that, so... Just to kind of give you a heads up, and there's also a book of poems 
going to be coming out with it as well. So everything's going to be going through through the band camp for the book and for the record and for the the single. So I'm trying to stay off uh, the bigger the bigger streaming services because actually you don't get that much for you don't really don't get much at all for streaming. So um, yeah, here we are, episode episode nine and. I didn't think that I'd still be doing these by by nine, to be honest. I I just kind of started them on a whim and a, a prayer, and we're up nearly to ten episodes. And as much as I don't really like to come on here, just kind of ad lib and and talk like like this, so maybe candidly, um, it's not really business as usual because things aren't aren't usual uh, it's just not things are a wee bit different right now and uh, it's really strange and I think actually maybe it's the older generation that are handling this a lot better than than some of us so I mean I, I won't mention I won't mention it I won't <laughs> I won't give it give it its name but uh, I guess there's about a hundred a hundred and something of you guys who who listen to this and I just wanted to say that I hope everyone's doing alright and as much as I don't normally talk like this and I'm not a robot and I'm, I'm actually a person and I, I, I am contactable and you can reach me and, and I've been off work for for a week now uh, I took a week's a week's holiday because because I didn't want to be out and about in, in, in shops and, and on the streets doing doing my job and I just didn't feel safe so so I took a week's holiday and where I live I, I've, I've got a decent sized garden so I've spent the last three days in the garden cutting grass and weeding and cutting hedges and this afternoon I decided to make a flower bed a bit bigger so that's been uh, that's been my my chore. Digging digging with a spade, and I hate the spade. The spade is is the spade is my mortal enemy, and I'm digging out sods. So if you see someone running down the street with a wheelbarrow dumping sods on wasteland, that's probably me. And uh, I live in your you live in your area, so. Uh, the wife called it. The, what did the wife say? She said I was breaking uh, breaking sods law. So <laughs> anyway, this is a podcast with with my friend Kevin, and uh, I think it's really good. I think it's actually quite a good one for for this moment in time. It I, we recorded it probably two months ago before all this crap kicked off. So just everyone stay home and, and take care of yourself and take care of your loved ones. And my only advice would be don't. Don't sit and watch the news all day. Uh, get on with your life. Make, create, sleep, eat, read, exercise, dig a hole, whatever, whatever you gotta do to quiet the old mind and take care of yourself and t- take care of your loved ones. Peace. Kevin Young is a songwriter recording artist, entrepreneur and spiritual seeker from St. Field County Down. 
I first met Kevin back in 2011 and on numerous occasions I played supper time shows in his eloquent little cafe whilst overindulging in the rich labours of his culinary expertise. Kevin now specialises in spiritual and emotional mentorship, working with clients from all walks of life from across the province. His company is called InMind, I-N-M-Y-N-D, and you can find him online in all the usual places. I was in with Mike, Sharon and I were in with Mike on Thursday. Sharon was doing a whole, a whole album of backing vocals. For you? Mm. A whole album? Mm. 13 tracks we put down. You monster. Mm. When did you get time to write 13 songs? I've been, I, Andre, I have about another 30 sitting there. Of varying degrees of quality <laughs> and completeness. Uh, but yeah, I went in and hit thirteen tracks, and they're they're uh, they're not like the last ones. Okay. So there, there's enough going on, and a uh, bit of madness and a bit of knob twiddling and, uh-huh, and, uh, uh-huh. and reverbs, and uh, somewhere we're kind of kind of trying to pin it down. We're saying somewhere between. You know, you get a big pot and put in a drop of Beck uh-huh. and a drop of Nick Cave and a drop of Tom Waits and made it into a Kevin Young pie. <laughs> That's what you get. And Mike Marmigish, you know what he's like, you know, what yeah. we're adding bits of madness and mischief and mayhem into yes, it, you know. Yes, of course. Uh, and it's sounding, sounding really good. How many, how, how long has it taken you to track it and get it kind of... <coughs> and I went in, let all, let all the demos, let all the guides down... Uh, one day, did uh, you know what Mike's like doing drums? Drums yeah. were done, bang, that's it. Uh, put guitars down then. So drums and guitars, and maybe with another day and a half. My vocals then, and another half day. Sham did a half day of backing vocals. So I've been at it about three, three days, like you know, three or three or four days. Thirteen you know? songs. Thirteen songs. Uh, and and they're 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 lo-fi, you know. They're uh, but. But sounding great, you know, really, really, really chuffed with it, you know. Uh, and there's a few, say, a few mad ones and a few curveballs in yeah. there, which I can't and wait. And what's the plan with it then? And I don't have a plan with it, Andrew. I think, uh, I think I might fire out a few singles, maybe off it or something, uh-huh. and then, then an album. But I think I'll hold back on putting the album on Spotify to see if I can get. Money, money clawed back. I uh, money clawed back. You, know, you can sell te- if you can sell ten albums at a, or if you can sell a hundred albums at a tenner, you have a thousand pound. Yeah. You know, and that that all that does is pay for the the production yeah. and pay for the studio pay time the, and yeah, pay for the pay, for, pay for it. You know, because as soon as you put it on Spotify, you're all you do. Yeah, you know, pe- people stop buying it. Of course, you know, and that's that's it. That's your that's your chance gone. You know, yeah. but just that thing, Andrew. Do you know? Like an album, you know, it's it's not an easy thing to do, and it, it, for me, it's definitely one of those things of saying, "I've done that," you know, mm. "I've I've made an album," you know, uh, and it, to me, what what I'm expressing in there through the lyrics is 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 my book. Do you know what I mean? I've I've I've, I've written a book in in song, yeah, you know, uh, and 
I'm really proud of myself for doing that. You know, I'm really pleased with myself and really proud of myself that, that I've that I've done that and I'll and I'll have that. And again, I hope to do another one and the next one's better than this one. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I know where I'm at with it. I know I know what it is. Uh, and you hope that that just progresses. But no no real plan. I'd maybe like to do a few gigs out of it and, and I have a notion of doing a bit of band stuff. You know, I think Mike's keen to do a bit of band stuff and Sharon cool. myself. Um, maybe need a bass player. Uh, <laughs> Help me up, no worries. Uh, and and you know, do a few gigs, do a few gigs. Latter part of next year, yeah, as a full band thing, you know, uh -huh. and see how that goes. That's squeaky bum time, mind you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a wee while, maybe since you done a show, was it? Mm. Maybe all the time, was it? Yeah, I could do wee bits and pieces here and there. You know, we we gigs, we but not shows. You know, and and I've never played. I've never played as a band. You know, it's been me, yeah, and, it's me and Sharon. Been, yeah. And the beauty of that is, you know, if you miss a verse or skip a line or add in an extra doesn't bar. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. You know what? It doesn't actually matter when you're in a band situation either. Especially if you've got a good band around you, they don't. You can kind of flow with it anyway. Right, okay, yeah. You know, throwing a few jazz chords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always have this panic that, because I do that, I throw in an extra bar at the end of a verse and, uh, that I, I suppose I'm a little bit concerned that if I was to be in a band that that takes that discipline yeah and yeah. it, it kind of does but at the same time you know you're on stage you just kind of you just kind of go with it as well yeah so looking forward to that track with me your journey your journey of how you started getting into music because you you kind of started kind of late in life mm. Hmm. And well, it's 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 funny, Andrew. And getting into music, I always loved music. So always from, and I remember buying. I can remember buying. I don't know where I got the love from because my house wasn't a my 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 you know my family home wasn't a, a big music house. Hmm. Uh, but I can remember buying. There used to be a market in Downpatrick, uh, behind uh, behind a supermarket, uh, an outdoor market, and I bought Ozzy Osbourne, uh, an album called Ride the Lightning, on cassette when I was 12 uh, <laughs> and I you know, I remember Clear's Day buying that and, and loved it it's a song and I call Killer of Giants uh, but so I always loved it and then you know in, into into rock music and dance music and you know always going to festivals and gigs and you know love, loving music and, and, and always had a real always had a real uh, admiration for, for musicians you know it was always something that I, that, I, that I looked at and for 25 years so from 15 Till I was forty, there was was it kind of like musicians were kind of like your people, yeah, yeah they were. You understood, you understood the yeah. the, the wavelength they were on. I don't know, Andrew. I I I I don't know what it was, but there was just an attraction there. Yeah, you know, there was an attraction there, and I I don't know well I don't know whether that was how they were expressing themselves or what they had to say or what they were able to do or how they were mm. able to hold. An audience or a room. I love that music does that. You know, just that connectivity it's so between. So captivating, yeah. Yeah, it's captivating. You know, and, and I love that. Uh, and through the work that I did, you know, working, growing up in hotels, and I was always very good with people. So I could always talk. Mm -hmm. You know, I could always talk. No bother. You know, always tell a yarn and tell a story. And, and uh, but I just continuously heard myself saying, "I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that." You know. And then uh, uh, a situation happened where it was just before I was 40, so about six years ago. Uh, 
there were uh, my children. There was a wee boy in, in one of their classes, and his parents lived opposite my mother-in-law. So they lived in, in my mother-in-law, and, and these people lived in the same street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one day, I was picking the kids up from my mother-in-law's, and, and the lady, a lady called Shireen, came out and said, "You know, would you and your wife like to come for dinner?" And I was like, uh, "I'll speak to the boss," you know. <laughs> uh, you know, and I went home and spoke to Sharon. I was like, Sharon, well, I, I, I don't even know these people. I, you know, what are we going to go for dinner for? You know, mm. I, I don't know these people. And my wife was just like, Kev, we'll just go for dinner. You know, I was yeah, like, yeah. Right, okay, we'll do that. We'll go for dinner. So we went for dinner and uh, it was Shireen and his her, her, her husband was called Noel. And we had a lovely meal. And then after the meal, Noel was like, come on in here, you know. And brought me into a wee, a wee, a wee room under the stairs, uh-huh. you know, like one of those we have. We, we was door. Harry Potter in there. We Harry Potter. Was yeah. he sleeping in there. Yeah, it was like one of those Harry Potter cupboards. <laughs> excuse you know? me, Harry. Yeah, excuse me. And we kind of went through the coats, you know, pulled the coats apart yeah. through the coats, and you were out, and then we converted garage. Oh wow! With a, a studio, and Noel had uh, probably in that room maybe eighteen guitars, wow. bass guitars, all set up with his Pro Tools, mm-hmm. all, all ready to go, you know. And, you know, guitars from Martin Acoustics to PRS and, and, and tellies and, and, you know, really nice guitars. Really nice guitars. Uh, so I sat down and got chatting and it, it conspired, you know, that, uh, that, that Noel had had a motivation for inviting us for dinner. That he wanted my wife, Sharon, who's a singer, yeah. to sing on some of his tracks. Because he, oh, did, he okay. didn't write lyrics or sing, he just played guitar. He just played guitar. Wrote lovely guitar tunes and stuff. Uh, but Sharon at the time was... She was busy. She was playing on a couple of bands, and you know, she was like, "Well, you know, I don't really, don't really know of time, you know." Yeah. And I was there and had a couple of glasses of wine in me at this stage, and I was like, "I'll do it." <laughs> and Noel said, uh, "Do you sing?" I was like, uh, "No." <laughs> uh, he said, "Do you play guitar?" I was like, uh, "No," <laughs> but I'm keen. You know, I'm really keen. I said, "I write some stuff. I write some lyrics, and I write a few mm-hmm. poems and skits, and you know, bits and bobs, yeah. you know." Uh, and I said, I've always, I've always had a real great desire to learn to play guitar. And Noel said, okay, tell you what, be here Monday night, 8 o'clock, I'll give you your first guitar lesson. Oh. I was like, okay. You know, panic just for the, the, the moment what of What have I done? What have I done? Yeah, you know. I can't commit to this. Exactly. Uh, well, no, do you know, uh, it was kind of what have I done, but kind of thinking, no, I can't commit to this. So around that Monday night and we sat... You know, eight o'clock, I had a wee half-hour guitar lesson, they showed me a C, whatever, you know. Uh, and then we talked about music. We drank tea and we talked about music and music we loved and music we didn't love and, you know, different bands and this, that and the other. I'm just got on. Re- and Noel's 20 years older than me, so Noel's 65. I'm had a great conversation. And he said, right, okay. He said, uh, next Monday, same time. I was like, okay, great. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I gave him, uh, I gave him twenty quid that Monday night for the guitar lesson. It was a tenner, maybe a tenner for a half hour guitar lesson, and I took the money, you know. Uh, and then next Monday night, uh, I gave him a tenner for the half hour guitar lesson, and again we sat till midnight, yeah. talking and blathering, and uh, <clears throat> and went for about five weeks, paying this ten pounds for this mm-hmm. half hour guitar lesson and talking nonsense about music and stuff. Uh, and and uh, after the fifth week. Noel just pushed all the money back to me. <laughs> He's like, there's your 50 quid back. He says, we're now in a band. <laughs> I was like, right, you know, I can barely play a C followed by a G, you yeah. know. Uh, and he's like, no, no, we're in a band. You'll sing. I'll write, all right, and you can play acoustic guitar. And that was, yeah, when I was 39. Uh, and pretty much been going to Noel's house every Monday night since. <laughs> uh, 
Oh. Writing songs and, and recording songs and, and messing about with songs and, uh-huh. and loving it. That's it. And you've been going ever since? Going ever since. Writing tracks, writing lyrics. Uh, kind of the, w- the way it has kind of panned out that uh, usually, usually most of the time I'll land up there with, with a half-baked song on, on acoustic guitar, mm. you know. Uh, the format of the song you know I'll, I'll write all the lyrics and uh, Noel doesn't write a single word uh, no, no no desire to no desire to no desire to you know yeah. uh, I'll write all the words and, and come up with a song you know half baked on, on acoustic guitar and then we'll layer it up and, layer it up. There and do a bit of guitar and then there's those are the demos you take into the studio and you're like well, it's kind of starts out like this and then we'll you know finish it off yeah yeah I've been thinking a lot recently about the difference between the songwriter and the musician and the the two the difference in the two roles you know because mm. they're so they're so mixed obviously yeah um I think it was Nick was it Nick Cave said he was a poet he just wanted to be a poet mm. or that was Leonard, maybe it was Leonard Cohen one of the two of them uh, he wanted to be a poet but couldn't make any money at it so they got into they got into music but but the the the, the difference in the role and how the songwriter needs the musician but how the musician Needs the songwriter completely, and it's that reliance on the two, and probably thinking about it mostly about myself, where I kind of fit in, sort of, into that equation, which is kind of a wee bit of both, but mostly just a songwriter Mm. and being able to play guitar is just this sort of byproduct that I'm sort of able to do, Mm -hmm. but don't have a lot of interest in really in gear or or pursuing that kind of that kind of thing but I, I do like the idea too of finding your people because there's so many times in life you think you want something or you think you know this this person will be a good friend to have or, or these types of people this would, I'd love to be in that field and then you get in there and you're like I don't fit here yeah it's not for me you know it's happened yeah. me recently when I, whenever I started pursuing the poetry thing a wee bit and I started being around poets and, and I was like these aren't really my people. Mm. <laughs> that was mostly academia. I was kind of in and in, in, yeah. in, in, in around, and I was like, "Ah, musicians are, are kind of my 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 people." But your tribe, yeah. But we're sitting in your in your office in the middle of Saintfield, middle of the universe, drinking tea and eating scones. And tell me a wee bit about how you ended up in this top floor space compared to a ground floor coffee shop that I used to visit you in, in St. Field. It's, it's funny, Andrew, how, it's funny how, funny just before you come in there reading a bit of Alan Watts, just about, the, and the, the sort of an analogy of, of, we're all just swimming in the stream. Uh, some of us are swimming against the stream some of us are swimming with the stream and quite a lot of us haven't yet worked out which way the stream's flowing <laughs> you know and and he's kind of putting forward the 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 idea that you'll work out life when you can work out what way your stream's flowing and decide i'll just go with that flow you know yeah so i worked for a long time in telecommunications and managing people and training people <coughs> and loved that uh and at 
then so did that for about 10 years uh, then opened my own had kids and decided that I didn't want to be at the time when I was working telecommunications spent a lot of time in work a lot of time traveling a lot of time away from home mm. uh, you know and going to work at seven in the morning and coming home at seven at night and seeing my kids in their pajamas for 20 minutes either side of that and just thought oh, this, this isn't what I want to do uh, so always had a love of cooking and grew up around cooking and hospitality so opened a little cafe bistro in Sainfield here where I live uh, and loved that uh, and still managing people and, and I suppose counselling people, you know, uh, uh, being a good listener and, and trying to help people. Uh, and, and through all of that, all, all the, the common thread there is people and working with people and trying to help people and get the best mm. out of people and, and trying to work out where I was at and what I enjoyed doing. Uh, then, so in my own bistro there for eight or nine years, and at that point my kids had went from five and three to... 14 and, and 12 yeah. and that kind of stage of life had changed where I, I didn't need to be in Field all the time didn't need to be at the school gates mm-hmm. didn't, you know just kids start doing their own thing uh, but through my time on my bistro I was helping people open their cafes and bistros right you know? and, and a, a bit of sort of uh, I suppose the the, the the buzzword at the minute is business consultancy yeah helping people open businesses and, and helping them with you know, strategic stuff and planning and staffing and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And then other helping them as well with other moral stuff, you know, and or, or, you know, helping them get their head around themselves and what they want to achieve and what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, and found that the part of that that I loved was, again, working with people. Mm-hmm. You know, it it, it, it it quite often was that people just needed work around their own fears and inhibitions and abilities and talents and attributes and skills and confidence and mm-hmm. uh, their their mental well-being and their uh, self-esteem and, and you know what's triggering them and, and really find that the, the part of the work that I enjoyed wasn't the business and strategic stuff. Yeah, it was the one-to-one human interaction and actually getting to the nitty-gritty of what made people tick. Exactly. And I love that. You know, I, I love that, really, really love that, getting to the what makes people tick. And I think... You know, because we all operate in relationship. When you're, when you can see what is making people tick, mm-hmm. that's also helping you learn what's making you tick. Yeah. You know. Uh, so then decided that I would pursue <coughs> that more, and and had had come to realize that it was the spiritual and the emotional side of helping people that I liked. Okay. Uh, and when you give people spiritual, spiritual and emotional support, that they can then use that in their business or in their relationship or wherever they mm. want to use it. You know they can they can change their job or you know whatever, uh, but what it, what the person wanted to do with it wasn't really that important to me. Mm. I just wanted to help them to be able to do what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, yeah, decided that I would pursue that idea of spiritual and emotional mentorship with people, uh, and decided. As you, 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 you know when you do you know when you find when you find yourself and you think, oh, this is me now. <laughs> that's us now that's us now you know that's <laughs> us now that's what i love to be doing now you know uh and that was almost four years ago been doing this for four years mm-hmm. and of late found that you know really it's it's the it's the 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 spiritual and emotional side of things uh, behavioral patterns and triggers and emotion and spirituality mm-hmm. and uh 
you know, it's a very cliched saying, but helping people to find themselves and really helping people find themselves is just moving all the nonsense that they have accumulated on top of themselves. Of you know, course, and you're like, yeah. there you are there, you know, that's us now. Uh, and that's how I ended up here in this little office in Sainfield. And it's it's where my clients come to and, and where I work out of. Uh, and I love it, you know, uh, and I seem to, I seem to get, results for people mm. they seem to enjoy it. they seem to enjoy coming they seem to leave feeling better and better at feeling than than when they came in wow uh, that's a big one and that that pleases me you know that that pleases me uh yeah and through all that you know there's a lot of i love i love the idea of mixing spirituality with science and, mm. and uh you know uh, psychotherapy mm-hmm. and uh, neuroscience and uh, you know folklore folklore all of these things you know and, and you, you hear words you hear I love the, the work that I do now and I love talking about this during the week that how you know all those old sayings and those old, those old folklore things and those ostracisms and colloquialisms you get to you kind of you rehear those things that your granny said to you 30 years ago and mm-hmm. you're like yeah when you hear what they really mean you hear what they really mean you're like all right you know, oh yeah. that's what she meant there, you know, uh, and it's, it's, uh, you know, if it's meant for you, it won't pass you by, you know, I love these things that, that, uh, when you talk about people coming to their senses, or he's beside himself, mm-hmm. you know those old saying, oh, he's beside oh yeah, yeah, when you really think, what does that mean for someone to be beside themselves? Yeah, you know, it means that they're not in themselves. Yeah. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not yeah. part of they're themselves. They're not present. They're yeah, not they're not present. You know, mm-hmm. oh, he's beside himself with worry. You know, and then you think it's oh, a really interesting statement. You know, and, and I, I, I love that, love that use of words and and, and language and, and and no language, space between language yeah. that helps people find out where the where they're really at. Yeah, it's um, and you don't really hear. To be honest, I mean, you don't really hear people talking about these types of things especially men completely you know there's a lot of toxic masculinity in our our part of the world as, as there is in every mm. every part of the world that old saying oh he's bad with his nerves he's bad with his nerves <laughs> you know things like that you know historically someone who was bad with their nerves <laughs> someone who was bad with their nerves he just worked and went to the pub in the evening you know, how did they process emotion? Mm. But well, I like what the thing I liked most about what you said there was, um, you talked about feeling better, and then and better at feeling, and better at feeling. Tell mm. me a wee bit more about how that has worked for you, and how you've seen maybe seen it work in other people. That's that's the big one, Andrew. That's the big one at the minute. That you know, studying with Gabor Mate and and compassion and inquiry stuff, and and about returning us to we, we live outside our bodies that old saying beside ourselves you know we, li- mm. we live outside our bodies and I, I see my role and my job as not making people feel better but making people better at feeling mm. uh, because what we do is we go through life with all sorts of ups and downs and disappointments and and traumas big t traumas and small t traumas uh and these are difficult things to feel. So what we then do is distract ourselves from these feelings. Uh, and we've distracted ourselves for that long 
that we forget how to feel mm. uh, what we feel uh, and it's for me and the work that I'm doing it's only through recognizing what you feel that that'll lead you to how your mind's working and how you're thinking and then you know yeah. the triggers and you get into addiction you know and that thing where people find themselves reaching for Netflix or heroin or alcohol or mobile phone uh, whatever it is it doesn't yeah. matter whatever the distraction is solitude can be, can be anything yeah, yeah solitude completely spiritual bypassing and solitude uh, or drug of choice completely completely uh and um, what we're there, what we're doing there is just stopping ourselves from feeling. So we will have we will have a, a felt sense. So something will happen in our body. We will feel tight in our shoulders or a knot in our gut or, you know, whatever it may be, pain in our back or or whatever. So we will. That's that's the first thing that happens. You get a felt sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will trigger uh, a thought process, which will push us to the pub. Uh, or pushes to the arms of a of a of another woman or the arms of another man, yeah. you know, uh, or pushes to Netflix or pushes to wherever, whatever it pushes it towards. But we don't even know that we're feeling that felt sense. We don't even know that that process is happening. Yeah. That that the next thing you're in the pub and you're blocked, mm-hmm. you know, or, or next thing you're, you know, smoking, drinking, using drugs, using Netflix, eating food, uh, whatever it may be, uh, meditating, yeah. you know. Uh, and for me, the, 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 the better at feeling part is being able to recognize there's a felt sense. There's something happening in my nervous system. I don't want to get too technical talking about you know, parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems and your vagus nervous system, all the different things. There's just something happening in your body. Mm-hmm. And being able to recognize that and go, there's something happening in my body. Yeah. You know, and what I want to do is stop and appreciate that before that drives me to to the place where I crush it and, and distinguish it. Yeah. Ext- extinguish, extinguish it. it. But you don't extinguish it, you just smother it, but it's still there. Yeah. You know, it's still there. To, to rise again another day. Completely. And mm. push you back to the pub another day. Mm-hmm. Uh or push you back into drug use or, or before you know, you know it you're sixty and then it hits you like a tidal wave somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and you haven't felt any. And I quite often, you know, when, when, when speaking with people, clients, and, you know, it's interesting, we say to people, how, how do you feel? You know, how are you feeling? Uh, people know how intellectually they feel, but they don't, but they don't know experientially the how they feel. That's the answer. And that's the very point, to be able to, yeah. to, be able to feel experientially how yeah. you feel, mm. you know. Uh, and I do it, I kind of play it. I love being playful with these ideas, you know, and say to people, you know, how do you feel? Oh great! The kids are doing well, and and yeah, you know, and, you externally, know, yeah, the holidays booked, and and you know, mm. and I said no, no, all the reasons why they should feel good, <laughs> exactly. And I said, no, how, how do you feel? And people look at me and say, what do you mean? I'm saying, how do you feel? What do you feel? Yeah. And I go, don't know. And the number of people that find that a really difficult conversation to say, you know, how do you feel? Do you feel warm? Do you feel mm. cold? Do you feel tense? Do you feel relaxed? Do you feel a knot in your stomach? Do you feel, uh, you know, pain in your abdomen? Do you feel, have a sore knee? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, how, how do you feel? And we here, this part of the world, or this age, the age that we're living in, find that a very difficult thing to do, to just know how we feel. You know? And then when you can apply that in your experience of life, so something happens, Somebody says something, somebody does something, you see something on TV, 
uh, when you can understand how you feel about that or what you feel or As where opposed to you what feel you it, think about it completely completely yeah uh, and, it's, and so it's a, it's this le- it's this journey of pursuing the obeying of that feeling because the more you begin to follow what that feeling's telling you to do the more you become intuitive and in learning how to react when those things arise correct does that make sense uh, completely and, and i think what most people do is most people are following those feelings all the time but they're just doing it unconsciously so they're they're getting triggered by somebody yeah. saying something and next thing they're you know, poking somebody in the eyes. <laughs> uh, when really it's nothing to do with the person in front of them. That they're being they're being reminded of an experience from from yeah, the from, from the previous from life, before. and they're acting on on autopilot. Mm. They're they're asleep. You know. I remember um, a while back when I was with my therapist. We did this. We did this. Um, this thing where. So you draw a circle in the middle of the room and then she would begin to move around the circle. I had to close my eyes. And or I'll keep my eyes open. I think it would keep my eyes open. And I had to begin to articulate what I felt at these different positions that she stayed in around the room. Mm-hmm. So she was maybe to the right side of me or the left side of me or in front of me or behind me. And that was, the f- I think for me, that was that was the first time I ever began to listen to that still small voice. As the, as the, as the, scripture, as the Bible puts it, mm-hmm. the still small voice of that's uncomfortable. Mm. You're in my personal space. Mm. And that woke it up. I saw, that's how I, for me, it began to wake up. I was like, Ah, that's what it is to see from the inside. That's what it is yep. to feel. That's what it is to know. That's what it, that's what the still small voice is. Listening to your body, how uncomfortable it is, or how potentially comforting it is yep. having this person looking me in the, the looking me in the eye in a re, in a loving, reassuring reassuring way you know and it's it's not always bad either is it no. you know it's sometimes it it's it's it can be it can be a, a positive thing and a very a very good thing and being able to tell the difference andrew is the difference between being present and not present because when you can have someone in a space in your space as you yeah. say that'll make you make you react in a certain way mm. but when you can then tell yourself no no this is safe that this is okay for this person to be here. Yeah. I don't need to move. You know, I, I it's it's actually okay. And quite often what happens is people live in a space where they're uneasy with someone in their personal space because previously when someone has been in their personal space, something uneasy has happened. Yeah. But, but to be able to understand that that lady that you're talking about can be anywhere and you can sense that and feel that and tell yourself, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. That that that's that's fine, and that that's the difference between living in and, and out of out of trauma and being in a state of hyper arousal and being, uh, you know, because that lady standing very close to you might have made you wanted to take a step to the right. You go, oh, that that's a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Whereas when you can feel that sense and and say to yourself, say to that small voice inside of you, we're okay. Yeah. I've got you. Mm. I'm here for you. I can see that you feel a little awkward and a little uneasy. 
but we're okay. I think one of the the easiest ways to begin to, to notice this in yourself is when you walk into a crowded room, into a pub, into a bar, into, into a restaurant, there'll always be a seat that you think is better than the one that the server wants to give you. Yeah. And it's normally in the corner. <laughs> it's normally in the corner or it's in a window or um, it's, it's, it's near the door. And I think for me, I, I found that even just making that decision is a start and beginning to listen to that inner self who would feel safer maybe in that seat mm -hmm. or more comfortable in that seat yeah. or there's more light there I can mm -hmm. see the person I, I'm meeting but that's one of the very simple ways that I I've noticed that you know in, in myself and learned to follow that tiny intuition you know and I think the thing is Andrew that when we learn as well that it's okay to express that you know it's okay for you to say I'd actually prefer to sit over in that seat of course yeah uh, that's okay yeah and people here people here don't like to cause a fuss they no, don't no. they don't like to express themselves express themselves and they go against the, their, their bodies a lot of the time mm -hmm. and that I mean that's a that's a real big conversation in some of the work that I do in managing or understanding or knowing the difference between authenticity and attachment because quite often we give up our authenticity. So I want to say this. I want to do this or behave in this way. Yeah. But I will give up that authenticity for the sake of maintaining attachment yeah. to our relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, You've accepted me up to, up until this point. So I will continue to behave in this manner. And I will not rock the boat. Because if I alter my behavior or, or really show you who I am, you might reject me. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And people have learned that, you know, people say... People have learned to be quiet or learn to hide or learn to be shy or learn to be angry or mm. learn to be people pleasers or learn to be uh, charming. In introverts, extroverts. Introverts, extroverts. They, they learn. These are all learned behavioral patterns and they then take them into their, their adult life. Uh, my modus operandi is to isolate, to, to, to disappear. disappear. I, I, can be, I can be invisible. That's my superpower. Yeah. Uh, I can be invisible and... I know that I learned that from my childhood to, mm -hmm. to be invisible, to take myself off somewhere, to uh, get out of the way. And at the time that was great because that was a survival technique that was learned by a small child and you have to commend that small child for learning that survival technique. Of course, yeah. But now that I'm an adult and a 45-year-old man with, with a wife and kids, it's not, ser it's not serving me to isolate. Of course not. But I know there's a part of me that still wants to do it mm. when I'm rejected or when I perceive that I'm rejected. Or when I perceive that I'm being ignored, I can then isolate. Mm. All right, well, if you're going to reject me and ignore me, I'll just take myself off down to the back room here and stay there for six months. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know, do, you know I mean? do you know what I mean? Spiritually or, or you know, hypothetically. Yeah, I'll just take, check out. Yeah. I'll just check out. I'll take yeah. myself off here. Because uh, that's my modus operandi. But that's not uh, conducive to, to healthy relationship uh, with, with, with myself or my, my, my partner. So now... I know that when I have that feeling, when I feel that I'm being rejected or feel yeah. that I'm being abandoned or ignored, I now know where, where, where that feeling is in my body. I know I can, I have a felt sense of it. And that felt sense for me is an alarm to go, Kev, you have a notion that you're being rejected or abandoned yeah. right now. 
you're probably going to want to isolate yourself and that's okay mm. but what i'm going to do is help you to move forward and sometimes it takes all the will that in i have world, yeah. all the will that i have andrew is just to move forward instead of moving backwards move past it just to move past embrace it embrace you know. it at the light and, end yeah uh you know i'll tell you a quick funny story that myself and, and sharon we were out gigging recently and sharon uh got an email she's had a bit of a hiccup at work uh and i was with her when the email came in we were sitting at a wee gig and yeah she's like oh flip, you know i forgot to do this thing at work you know and she was just a bit distracted by it and intellectually i saw what happened i saw yeah saw the email come in i saw her freak out a bit about yeah. it great intellectually but there was a part of me that after sort of five or ten minutes was starting to feel rejected ignored Mm. you know she uh, was dealing with this thing and her dealing with this thing in her phone yeah yeah you know and part of me the, the oh it's not my fault well yeah the part of me was like well, why, you know, why, why, why am i getting ignored here you know we're yeah. supposed to be on a night out we're supposed to be on a date we're supposed to be on a night out uh and we went home that night and uh sharon's like oh this thing and it was bothering her you know it was bothering her and she did her thing and i sat up a bit then on, on my own already starting to isolate myself yeah you know, just sit here on my own uh Next morning, Sunday morning, Sharon got up and she was busy working and sent a few emails, you know. Sunday morning is often a morning for us to have coffee and stuff, breakfast with the kids. Yeah, stuff in the house. family time. Family time. But Sharon was busy. And I could feel, I could feel this resentment uh, from this reject, perceived rejection yeah. building in me. And, and I imagined, I could just, I could sense myself kind of going, well, I'm just going to go down and sit in the back room here then and <laughs> you know and that sitting in the back room like i say it can last for 20 minutes or it can last for for you know f four months uh and i could feel myself starting to go there you know starting to want to isolate and mm -hmm. i was like yeah just go forward you know just go forward trust me just go forward come with me go forward and just you know went and said to sharon hey everything okay there you know she's like oh this is doing my head in kev you know and uh, like i just gotta sort this out and i said do you want a hand and she's no 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 i said tell you what you and the girls just just um you know we used to go and walk the dogs or something and we'll catch up she says I'll be done by 12 and we'll catch up and as soon as she said that I was like and relax <laughs> you know you're not being rejected yeah. you're not being abandoned mm. you're not being uh, left to your own devices uh, but being able to see that in myself yeah. being able to stop that being able to stop that perception of rejection yeah uh, so intellectually, I knew the girl had got an email that she was dealing with some work stuff. Intellectually, I knew that. But in my felt sense, mm. in my, my emotional body, yeah. I felt rejection. Your emotional body? My emotional body. I, I, I felt rejection. That's an interesting term. That's where, that's where it's all at, Andrew. It's, it's, all at, it's all in your emotional body. And what, what, Tell me a wee bit more about how you kind of know where these things sit in your body. That's where meditation and stillness comes in, Andrew. That's where that's where a bit of 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 really looking at yourself and these all these ideas that you hear in Eckhart Tolle books and you know Alan Watts books and spiritual books and Buddhist books of being the watcher, yeah. you know, witnessing yourself. Yeah. But the first thing you have to do is learn to feel what's going on for you. And a great question that I give uh, I give a lot of my clients is continuously ask yourself the question. What is going on for me right now? What is going on for me? And that'll just bring you back into your body, your your emotional body, your mm. your emotional sense. Uh, and again, this this can get very this can get very scientific and very big and very medical and neurological and stuff. And it is, uh, 
but it's also just very simple in that what's going on for you is going on for you in your body you know it's not going on for you in your brain you know your brain's processing a lot of it yeah you know your brain's taking these messages and this energy and these and, and processing it mm. uh, but where it's happening is in your body yeah it's interesting you and i come from come at these things from from different angles mm. obviously the, there's the science and there's the folklore and historically there's you know coming at a lot of these things has been almost a spiritual path mm-hmm. sometimes even a religious path mm-hmm. and that's that's how i got kind of introduced into into these types of conversations and these are the maybe the more of the metaphors that i the metaphors that probably um arise in me when i when i see these things um and that's something i've i've learned i've learned how to separate my spirituality from my religious upbringing mm-hmm. but for me I, I i always i think it because i i spent so much time um in religion i'll always i'll always go back and reimagine things i used to know you know yeah. it's interesting when you talk about the body and i think about you know how the new testament calls us the body of the body of christ mm-hmm. or the body of the christ yeah that you're that voice in you happens in your body and it's the sound of this thing called the Christ, whatever yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever energy source or, or, or power or or what that is. And it's interesting to me how going back and looking even at even at that, how that deep spiritual teaching was trying to come through that old book, you know? Yeah. Um, but you fl- you flit probably around in and around religion quite a bit in your job and, and absolutely you probably have to com- combat that quite a bit in, in people's psyche for a lot of people Andrew I find that their religion can be their oppressor and religion was never meant to be an oppressor it was meant to lift you up and, yeah. and, and free you but for, for a lot of people however those teachings have been uh, translated for them they seem to be something that that binds them and holds them and oppresses them instead of freeing them and uplifting them and it's trying what i try to do is uh, you know people's religion and their religiosity is their own thing and that's a personal thing but encourage them just to try to look at it slightly differently you know and just as you were chatting there the 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 phrase that came came to mind um from the bible or you know and, and or from jesus and jesus said the kingdom of god is within yeah when you think of that statement from uh, what I was chatting about five minutes ago about come back to your emotional felt sense, the mm-hmm. kingdom of God is within. Yeah, it's not without. Mm-hmm. It's within. You know, it's it's inside you. You know, feel feel it. The kingdom yeah. of God is 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 within. Is 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 a feeling. Uh, it's it's in your body. It's in it's in your essence in your spirit. Uh, and when you can look at teachings like that. That push you back into yourself. That that asks you to reevaluate your view of the world from in from inside. And it's ki- it's mm. kind of like being in a car. It's kind of like being in a car and looking out through steamy windows. And for me, what what religion and scripture and and spirituality does is it just asks you to realize that you're still in the car, but that you can give the windows a wipe, you know, and wipe the steam off them, and look out again, 
you know, and and you're still in the same place. You're still mm. the same being. You're still the, you're still the same thing. You've just given those windows a wipe, and now you can look out and go, all right. And so that's what's going on out there, mm. uh, and and I love that about spirituality and and reading different texts and uh, that that I, I'm being pushed back into myself to reevaluate the outside world, but from in from inside. From inside from inside and, and again that's that's felt sense that's uh, that's your emotion and, and connects greatly to to your spirituality and I love a thing that uh, Buddhists talk about where they uh, rather than asking what religion are you or you know what do you believe they will ask you what's your practice yeah what's your practice mm-hmm. you know what what do you do uh, how do you experience it you know, mm. not not what it, not what what do you believe? Mm. You know, what you believe has got nothing to do with anything. Mm. You know, that's that's it, it, your beliefs are just stories that have been told over and over again until you decide that you, you'll accept them. Mm. And and more often than not, they're coming from somebody else anyway. Mm. So rather than what is your belief, what is your experience? Yeah. You know, I had a guy. Uh, what day is this? This is Saturday on on Thursday. Ask me, do I believe in God? And I kind of thought, well, okay, so there's. And I don't want to be, I'm not trying to be uh, awkward, but first of all, when you say believe, what do you mean? Give me your definition of belief. Before I can answer your question, tell me what you mean by believe. What does that even mean? Mm. Do I believe? I don't even know what that means. Uh, And secondly, give me your definition of God. Because I I, I don't know what you're asking me. Do I believe in God? I I don't know what that means. You know, you're asking me, do I hold dear to the stories that you're telling yourself about your God? Yeah. Do you I know? believe in the in the middle class white man on the on a, on a chair? Yeah. Yeah. Or or, or I didn't. Do I affiliate and 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 uh, deem myself loyal to this king? Yeah. That that's what he was asking me. Of course it was. You know? Yeah. Uh, and and uh, you know I said I'm not being awkward, but I can't really answer your question because I don't know what it means. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Uh, and we had to just leave it at that. Yeah. So I, I couldn't answer that guy's question because I didn't I didn't know th- about the God that he was talking about for a start. But I needed to have a week long conversation about that, and then I could tell him of my experience of that. But that's not a belief. No. You know, and beliefs aren't facts. So I think it's very interesting. Loyal loyalty is a big thing. Mm. I think that there's so many people in Northern Ireland who passionately loyal to the God they believe in. Mm. And loyalty is the thing that keeps them there. But that, that sense of loyalty is everything. I think that's really hard for a lot of people to let go of. And I'm not even sure, Andrew. I think what they're, what my experience of that is that people are being loyal to uh, a system, a system, and a tradition, and a culture, uh, and a way of being. Uh, and to me, that has nothing to do with spirituality or religion. You know that that's yeah. a that that's you know that's a that's a being being loyal to uh, a tribe, yeah, uh, a community. You know, I, I, I can't, I, I can't for the life of me, I can't for the life of me find anywhere in, in any book or conversation that I have with people like you or, or reading 
uh, you know, Bhagavad Gita or read, you know, any of these spiritual books. I, I can't I can't yet find somewhere that says if somebody thinks different than you, then you should not love them. <laughs> I can't find that anywhere. Of course, yeah. You know, I'm struggling to find that, and, and but yet, when I look out and and in 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 the real world, I find it very difficult to see where that's not happening. When people aren't different, or the other, mm. or them, or thousands, or whatever, and be that through skin color or political, uh, you know, p- political leanings, uh, class. Uh, I, I can't see where people are not using that as a reason not to love each other. Yeah. But yet in all the books that these people, Bibles and stuff, I, I haven't yet found a mention that says, when you find someone that's different from you, they shouldn't love them. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, it's, it's a difficult thing for me then to accept re- religiosity uh, or accept uh, that dogma as as something to follow because it, it just doesn't sit right with me that, that, if, that if, if people be loyal to a set of dogma that then that creates polarity and separation and if you're being loyal to a, uh, an institution or, or, or uh, a set of learnings that are creating polarity and separation and segregation I can't see that as being right No, and, and, and I struggle with that I struggle with I struggle with with how how anyone, as much as I am compassionate to them and try to understand them, I I, I find that very difficult to do. That how people can sit and swear allegiance to mm. something that is how it equates, how it equates. I, I you know, and I, I can't I can't understand that. And there's lots of big issues. You know, you talk about racism and sexism and and class and and abortion and, and LGBT and and you know how people can sit anywhere and say that. I have a right not to love you because you are different than me, mm. because this set of instructions tells me to do that. Mm. I, I, I can't I can't work that out. Uh, and if if somebody can work that out, then I, I'm happy to listen. But mm. but I've yet to find that. Yeah. You know. Has um. What's kind of been your journey with meditation? Yeah, it's been a class journey with meditation, uh, and it's something that something that I now find is a dear part of my life, and I think I'm just starting to get a handle on it and get uh, really enjoy it. Uh, and I find that what meditation does for me, and this again, this is a great and interesting conversation about spirituality and science. And we're now we're now we now have the benefit of of science that we're able to see what's, what's happening in the brain, what's happening in the brain through meditation. And reading a great thing, a, 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 a book, a book just read recently by uh, Bessel van der Kock. Uh, he's a Dutch guy, and it's called "The Body Keeps the Score." Uh, and that's about this how trauma and, and uh, is stored in your body. Uh, and he had a great section in it in, in meditation and, and beta and theta waves and what's happening mm-hmm. and, and how through meditation we can move into states where our body is relaxed. When our body's relaxed, then it, it's able to process trauma and thought better. Better. Uh, and when we can process trauma and when, when we can process thought and memory better, uh, then that relieves us from uh, stress. Stress is producing cortisol. Uh, and endorphins and drugs into our body 
uh, which is then making us act in a certain way. Yeah. So when we can meditate, so that's the first point, just being able to relax <laughs> is the first part, you know. Uh, and then being able to get to a point where you can allow yourself space to consider some options. That's what meditation does for me. Just mm. allows me to allows me to think about these big conversations. But from a point of trying not to have an opinion going into them, mm-hmm. you know, to, to really see what I feel and think about things. I uh, I can remember I, I messaged you in, in August, I was chatting about it this week, where I had sat and did, uh, we, were, we were in Donegal with the family and family were still in bed. I get up and, and read through uh, a Buddhist meditation on emptiness. Mm. Uh, and I can remember messaging you at about half seven in the morning, saying, Andrew, I've just discovered the secret of the universe, you know, <laughs> and I call it my Jim Morrison moment, you know, that, that uh, to be able to consider yourself to be nothing but energy, you know, nothing mm. but when you go search for that self, for that eye, you can't find it, you know, because you're just a vibration. Uh, and I can remember being really uh, like a real Jim Morrison moment, you know, just standing on the, on the edge of the universe going, whoa. Uh, and last weekend then I was led through that meditation uh, by a Buddhist nun. And it was even deeper. It was like really, it was really surreal, really deep. And to be able to experience myself as just a vibration, I know this sounds weird, but until you, you do this, just to experience yourself as just a vibration uh, and, and realizing that, that the image that you have created of yourself is created in imagination. Uh, yeah, well, well, it is, you know, the, the image you have created, yourself, mm. it, it is created in imagination, you know. Uh, and when you can deconstruct that, mm-hmm. then you can change that image that you've created in yourself. Mm. Uh, it's still an imagination, you know, it's still not real, but you might as well have a, a nice image of yourself that you're creating mm. in your imagination than a bad one. And meditation, I think, allows me to do that. And I kind of imagined it, I was kind of thinking the other day, trying to come up with an, an analogy, this is last night, and can you imagine standing uh you might just stand in a really busy, crowded room, a pub or whatever, trying to have this conversation. Yeah. All right, and the, the hubble and bubble of the pubs going on and the glasses and maybe there's a band in the corner and it's all, you know, it's all busy. And you go, what, Andrew? Sorry, I can't hear you. What we spirit you? What? You know, uh, and you're saying, yeah, well, matter what? You know, and this conversation. Change your frequency. How? Yeah, what? You know, what are you talking about there? And then you and I saying, sorry, come on, stand over here. And us just stepping, you know, maybe out into the hallway where the yeah. loos are and able to have that conversation really well. Now the pub's still going on. Yeah. The noise is still over there. The people are still conversing and drinking and singing and cheering and chatting. But we have just been able to take three or four steps to the left and find a wee quiet space yeah. where we can have that conversation. And for me, that's meditation. Mm-hmm. So you're not stopping the pub going on. You're not mm-hmm. saying everyone, shut up, we're trying to have a conversation, you know, because you'll probably get a poke in the eye or a punch yeah. in the face, you know. But what you've done is been able to just take three or four steps to the left into the wee hallway yeah. and have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And then when you've had your conversation, you go, right, okay, now mm-hmm. I get what you're talking about, Andrew. That was a lovely conversation. Thanks very much. Do you want to go back into the pub here and yeah. listen to the music? Yeah. And you go back in. And that's the balance, isn't it? It's, it's the balance of learning to hold that quiet space in a busy place. 
Yeah. Because it's very easy. It's very easy. It's easy to separate yourself. It's easy to, you know, we could, anyone could go into the mountains mm. and live there for the rest of their life and their mind would be decluttered and, you know, but then it's, you have no relationships and you have no connection. There's no interaction. It's, it's this journey of coming aside into the quiet and back into amongst the people until, until there comes a time in your life when maybe you don't have to go aside for, for such lengthy, lengthy point, lengthy moments, you know, yeah, completely. it's been able to, you know, I think I read somewhere about, about monks, you know, the, monks in the city kind of this idea the monk and the monk can you know can reach nirvana in the mountain in the mountain but he he has to learn how to do it in the city yeah isn't it kind of that mm -hmm. kind of that journey but frequency is a big big thing me and me and josh burnside were talking about that mm. recently too he he went to a, a sound bath yeah and uh, he, he talked a wee bit about about a spiritual experience and the colors that he mm -hmm. saw that he saw at least saw on that. Um, have you had any spiritual experiences? Uh, you see, and again, that's one of those questions that we'd have to sit here and have a conversation of define a spiritual experience for me. You know, and and what what is that? What what does that mean? What not not know? not in math, not through my definition of a spiritual experience, but in in maybe just in your own definition of a spiritual experience. Uh, so you uh, maybe to you a spiritual experience is to have tea with someone yeah uh, it, it is uh, and also a spiritual experience for me is to uh, have those moments of when you, when you think call it big S spiritual experiences and little S spiritual experiences uh, and little S is sitting having a cup of tea with someone and just really enjoying that conversation and being able yeah. to be completely present in that moment Uh is is a little yes spiritual experience and, and you kind of look to have those all the time except when you get in your own way and uh you're thinking well this tea's not really warm enough uh or i have to get the kids from school at four o'clock you know then you're being pulled away from that experience but big s spiritual experiences uh kind of happen regularly in that sometimes I just feel that you know I'm trying you see the, the thing with spiritual experiences is their experiences and then when you try to vocalize them when you try to put them in the language language gets in the way or language doesn't language doesn't express them as as they're experienced you know uh you know, how, how do you how do you use words to to describe what you're feeling in a, in a spiritual experience uh i i certainly had one last sunday again being led through that that meditation on emptiness uh by a buddhist nun where i was completely able to experience myself as being empty and experience myself as being unlimited uh, and infinite all at the same time yeah you know and how do i even describe that i was trying to think of an analogy for this if you can imagine that how i felt last sunday doing this meditation was if you know if you can imagine that 
the universe is a, is a big bowl of water. Okay. All right, so that's your first image. It's just a big bowl of water. And at some point, something came along and lifted up a little water balloon that was sitting beside the bowl of water, dipped it in the bowl of water, and filled it full of water. So you've now got a big water bowl mm. full of water. You've got a little water balloon full of the same water. And somebody just ties a knot in that little water balloon and just drops it into the, the bowl of water. So you've now got the same water that's in the water balloon, outside the water balloon, yeah. only separated by a water balloon. Yeah. Uh, and that's how I can describe how I felt <laughs> last Sunday morning. So, you know. That's very meta. Isn't it? You know? <laughs> and if everybody, then I'm kind of thinking, if everybody and everything is just a water balloon filled with the same water, yeah. but just separated by a different color water balloon, uh, that's how I felt last Sunday. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, it, does that explain a spiritual experience? To, to me, that then to me, if you want to use the big G word for God, the, the, the bowl of water is God. Yeah. Uh, and we're all filled with the same stuff. And surrounded by the same stuff and sometimes water balloons burst <laughs> uh sometimes water balloons burst and sink to the bottom and oh. somebody comes along and fills another water balloon and that's put into the bowl of water yeah. uh, and this these bowls of water are just continually filling and bursting and filling and bursting and, and recycling and going on and the water's still the same water so that w that was a, a spiritual experience I, I i have spiritual experiences sometimes andrew when i look at my children and they're growing up now and they're young women and they're 16 and they're 14 and and you know and i just have that experience of yeah. not understanding anything. I think you have a great ability to annul the the idea of the secular and the spiritual. I think that you have been able to sort of blur out the two lines mm. and allowed them to mix and allowed allowed yourself to see that the whole thing's spiritual. Supper Club are some of my favourite shows that I ever played when I when I was gigging. Just the response and and the crowd and the food and the, the candles. It was just a beautiful a beautiful experience. Um, I remember that first night that we played. I went out to get a cable and out of the car, and I, we left the drum left left the kick drum in the car, threw the keys on top of the kick drum, got the cable. Close to bed. <laughs> Keys, Keys locked, locked in a bit. <laughs> oh. So it's about. So we played the show. It's about one o'clock, half one. We're coming out, trying to figure out how we're going to get into this car. So I smashed the back right passenger window, and then get into the boot and get the keys. Then we patch up the window. <laughs> 
and then drive home because we're in Saint Fielding on Saturday night, and it's one in the morning. My dad's not going to come down from from Macarao two hours to get to, your car to get my car to me home, and I had to go and leave that wee girl home with a broken window. Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> it was so bad, but it was just a good story at the same time. Yeah, it was a great story. I think it was fifteen quid for the window for the window replacement, so it was pretty. It was worth it. Oh, that's all right. That's it wasn't. It wasn't too bad. Sure, it wasn't it's not too bad. It's half the price of a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> a taxi to Belfast, a taxi to Macarra from Saintfield. Yeah, oh, hundred fifty quid. Easy, 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 easy. Oh. It was. It was actually. It was Aaron Rossi who who in, introduced us because I've been saying to Aaron. Aaron oh, was it? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like some good people to come down and, and and play. So Aaron must have known you before that. I had seen you play before that, and it was Aaron said to me. Yeah, uh, message that he time. did sign at Hilden, didn't he, for a while? Yeah, did ons and ends. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it was through that and. Uh, yeah, Andrew. Just that thing, you know. What I was trying to do there was was create an environment where people, probably of a certain demographic, you know, probably a certain age, could come and sit and experience music and food and people. Yeah. Uh, and I always tried to. I always tried to make it. My goal there was to make it like I was inviting people into my living room. Yeah. To come and enjoy local music and yeah hear things that 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 you enjoyed yeah yeah your cafe your cafe has always been a hub for was always a hub for local music you would have your cafe any day of the week it was always local bands it was always local artists that were yeah. playing in the background i think we're very lucky andrew that conversation has led us on to to northern Ireland music scene uh, and I think we're very, very, very lucky. I, mean, I did a thing that oh, was maybe before Christmas, maybe around my birthday, which which was November. Uh, <coughs> and uh, Sharon and I were sitting at home one weekend night. Uh, we were having a glass of wine, and I pulled out all of my uh, local music vinyl uh, that yeah. I had, you know, and was laying them all out on the floor. You know, I laid them all out on the floor and yeah. taking pictures of them, thinking. Jeez, we're f- like we're really lucky, you know, and everything from from the Bonnevilles yeah. who describe themselves as as what do they describe themselves as L- Lurgan Garage Punk, okay, Lurgan Garage Punk Blues or something. They just so Bonnevilles are full on loud, you know, right through to the likes of yourself or Kieran Lavery who are at the other end of that very, you know, it's very quiet and yeah. and. and uh, uh, melodic melodic and, and listening to lyrics you know and uh, and everything in between from Melodian and Pat Dam Smith and Joshua Burnside and, and Ryan Veal and uh, you know all these loads of bands now that, that are uh, Sam Wickens a great one and uh, there's lots of girl stuff Voxen are out there and, and uh, Beauty Sleep and uh, you know we're just so lucky yeah. at the minute to have we've got uh a great urban music scene now, you know, with with, with a great black music scene. Yeah. Uh, you can go listen to gospel music and uh, dance music and and uh, acoustic and folk yeah. and Americana and and trad stuff. Uh, and and you know, I th- I think even sometimes to call it, I know it's local music by by definition, but any of those names that I've just mentioned, all stand up. Actually, they all sit in my. They're not. They're not in my record collection because they're from here. Yeah. They're in my record collection because it's bloody good music. Yeah. You know, and they stand up w- w- with any, and 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 I would be a great. I kind of think. Yeah. I think. I think if you're going to consume something, you have to offer something to the construction of it. Do you mm. mean you can't just love music and not buy it or go to gigs or support it or you know that 
that yeah. just doesn't work. No, that, that's no. a, that's a spiral to to nothingness. Yeah. You yeah. know. So I think in a place like mine, where I had a wee cafe and a captivated audience and and people coming in and eating during the day, you kind of feel a responsibility to play this stuff and put it out there. And and I know I know lots of people that are in the lots of bands because they heard music in in, in my place. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. You know, I love that. You know. Yeah. And then they go off on their own journey. You know, they go off and and they, they like they find artists and then they share with their friends. Yeah, they and share. And, and well, it goes. does. It does take an effort. It takes a it takes a you know a conscious effort to support lo- local music and to get out of the house and go to a gig. Yeah. On a, on a cold on a cold old winter's night, you have to kind of. You have to put the effort in, don't you? Really, you have to you know, support the scene and, and and create something in the city. Of course you do, of course you do. And and for me, then doing it again, it was probably Andrew that that idea. You know, and, and that time in my life, my kids were young and uh, just had a, a small business, and uh, you know th- that the, the supper clubs came out of of one of those again moments of I suppose meditation with my wife when I was like, oh, I'd love to have a, you know, we owned the, we owned the cafe at the time, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, do you know what? be great to have a be great to have a music venue wouldn't it you yeah. know and i kind of thought um i have one you know yeah, i just haven't you have your own venue i have my own venue you know yeah. and wishing wishing that i had one and then having that moment of well actually i have one yeah could, could i do something you know and, and a wing and a prayer hadn't a baldy what we were at cobbled together with pa and speakers borrowed and and mics and leads and and oh, no, sure it was great know, it was class class it was absolutely amazing you yeah. know and i say that uh you know we're, we're as, as humble as i can but just knowing that i really enjoyed it and to be able to go to my own venue on a saturday night in my own little village myself and my wife you know we didn't have to travel it didn't cost us anything yeah uh, like those wee nights you know when people did the sums there was no money in it no. you know everybody got a bit yeah. you know everybody got a few pound and but that was that was it that you know was there, it. Was, there was there was no money in it you no. know uh but it wasn't for the money of course not it was for the the people and the, and the experience, the, the, experience and, and the, yeah. the joy and the uh the i suppose andrew what i loved out of that as well was it it, it gave me a little bit of a celebrity status <laughs> Do you know in around that music scene yeah a little bit uh of just meeting people like you and, and meet and being able to shake hands and know people yeah. and still to this day all of those people that have come through that yeah if you meet them in the street you you have a friend you know start and chat yeah you know we start and chat to them all yeah. you know uh and and you know when you think of people now like josh who are going on to great things and and Melogen who are going on to great things and and uh kieran and and uh all of these guys that they all played in 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 my twenty five seater yeah. cafe in a wee village in yeah. County Down, you know, and I love that. I, I love having that, and I have uh, recordings, uh, usually on a mobile phone, of lots of those gigs. Uh, you know, I, I funny. I was flicking through. I was looking for a piece of information you had sent me years ago. Flicking through our messages on on WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, and I noticed one where you had messaged me and just as you had messaged me, this was about three years ago, I think this message, just as you had messaged me, I was listening to Sons of Calibre live in Saints awesome. when the message came through. Yeah. Uh, and it's one that I call the standing ovation session because that night you got a standing ovation. Yeah. You know, you did yeah. your set and everyone just stood up, just, you know, uh, uncoerced. Uncoerced. Yeah, in, in unison and yeah. just gave a, a, a standing ovation. So humbling. Oh, it was amazing. Uh, and I still have that we set on my computer that's amazing you know and i still i still stick it on occasionally and still listen to that uh and you know they're, ne- they're never going anywhere 
they're just they're just mine. But they mean something. Yeah, they're yours. <sighs> they mean something to you. Completely, completely. Little treasure troves of completely. of 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 your youth and yeah. You'll you'll probably forget about them for a year or two, and you'll stumble upon them again. And completely. Oh, do you just remember your man played that song? It was his first time playing it, or yep. All them wee memories, you know. Uh, and and you know h- how then those relationships build when you can meet people. Uh, great saying, I suppose. In these, when, you, when you're in, when you work with people, or and even in spirituality and things like that, when you when you can meet people where they're at, you know. And I think you and I just met each other where we were at yeah you know and that was it you know I oh, of course we've been fr- good friends ever since and you know there was I, I never had an expectation of a friendship i never you know i never once thought this guy'll be good for me to know because he can do this for me you know uh it was just good crack yeah you know uh and uh i i heard somebody it was uh oh graham norton show last night and uh sir patrick what do you call the star trek dude Bald head, Captain yeah, yeah. Picard. Captain Kirk. Yeah. What's his name? Picard. Patrick. Um. Anyway, uh, he was chatting about his relationship with because he's a sir. He was chatting about his relationship with Sir Paul McCartney. Okay. Yeah, and he was saying, I love the way he described it. He's saying that he and Paul McCartney have a very thin relationship. Yeah. Uh, but it has lasted now. He met him first in in 1964. Uh, and they've always had a relationship. Yeah. And I like that idea of relationships can have depth and length. Length and depth. Length and depth, you know. And sometimes as well that, that the depth deepens uh, and shallows. Yeah. And deepens and shallows. Mm-hmm. But, it c- but it continues to go on and on and on and but on. But it continues to go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Uh, yeah. And I think when you have uh, a good relationship with people, like I think you, you and I would have, and a good friendship that that relationship can deepen and shallow as, as things change and yeah. happen in your life, you know, and you say recently married, married in the last few years and how that then takes up more of your life and yeah. uh, rightly so, you know, and people then go and have children and, uh, and how your relationship can can uh, shallow a little bit. And I mean that, and I don't mean that, you know, in, in, in the sense that the relationship shallow, but how that, you know, it's just... Uh, it's just less often and less frequent yeah. and stuff, and then there are times when it deepens course, again. Yeah. You know? I think there's people you do li- you do life with, and there's people that you share your life with. You know, you yeah. share the stories of your life with those yeah. people. Yeah, isn't it kind of? The, as the older you, I think the older you get, the more you spend time with your family as well. That tends to be, of course, kind of the way the way things kind of kind of go as well. So tell me. Um, you kind of you're kind of based out of here, and you're um, say anyone say someone wanted to get in touch with you, say someone mm-hmm. wanted to to come and come and see you, and just have a conversation, maybe um, shoot the breeze. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Uh, depends on the person. So if it's if it's someone that wants to be a client of mine, if someone wants help with something in their in their spiritual and emotional growth or development, or they're stuck on a bit of something. Uh, have all the socials there you know there's there's facebook and there's instagram there's my website uh, and my first you know quite often people are send a message or um, my first thing is just have a telephone conversation yeah just phone and let's chat on the phone uh because i always tell people that i may or may not be the person to help them mm. you know and i and i have to go into that i have to go into that relationship 
clear in, in my mind that, that I may not be the person yeah. to help someone, you know. Uh, it's such an interesting role because some people will need, you know, psychotherapy. Some people mm-hmm. will need um, need help with addiction. Some people mm-hmm. will need will need help with, with maybe their health. Um, what you do is, is, is you cover a lot of ground, maybe. Is that is that a good way to put it? Yeah, Andrew, I do. However, uh, there is a common thread through all of those things. Yeah. And it's a person, mm. you know, and, and that's that to me that that's the thing. It's it's the person, you know, it's there's a person at the center of all these things. There's a person at the center of addiction. There's a person at the center of troubled relationships. There's a person at the center of trauma. There's a person at the center of, of, of uh, their, their health or their weight or their fitness or yeah uh there's a person at the center of these challenges and what i try to do is just meet the person you know it's it's meet the person where they're at and, yeah. s- and see the person uh and, and know again that you know and i think through through christian and certainly through buddhist teachings that how we can see beyond a person's buddhists call it delusions i suppose christians would call it sins uh or their sufferings, you know, and how we can see beyond these things and see that beyond all those things, there's just a person. Just a person. Would you call yourself a, a life coach? I did at the start. Uh, I did at the start, Andrew, and, and it never sat well with me. It mm-hmm. does. It's just that thing of how it felt to me. It, it never sat well. And, and then I can remember at the start of this year uh, having a real think about that and, and what is it that I do? And, and I like to think of myself, and I now call myself, it's now on my website and linkedin a spiritual and an emotional mentor wow that's what i do that's what i love to do that's what i that's what i'm able to do mm-hmm. uh and that then can be used for people making improvements or changes in their, in life, their life or yeah. you know so uh, yeah that i suppose the big term at the minute and the buzz term is is life coach uh but who, you know who am i to coach somebody in their life <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not here to coach someone in their in their life, you know. I am here to help people with their spirituality and and their their emotional being, uh, and that then will enable them to do the things that they want to do mm-hmm. in their life. You know, I suppose, I suppose historically that was a pastoral role done by the clergy. I suppose it maybe was. I don't, you know, I suppose it maybe was. Uh, I think that probably th- you know as as t- time moves forward. Wouldn't it be great if there was people doing what you do in every small town, in every village, mm. in every city? Well, you see, Andrew, and you're, I mean, you, you, you know more about this than me because you have a greater understanding of it. I think before clergy, there was. I think before clergy, there were these types of people, I suppose people like me that, that mm. uh, set out to help people from a, from a great intention without bringing them to, you know, without bringing them to any club club you know they don't have to yeah. affiliate yeah. you know i don't yeah. need people to affiliate to me mm-hmm. at all in fact i would encourage yeah. them not to you know <laughs> or, uh, yeah affiliate with you or what you affiliate with yeah you know uh i, I would you're, I not sell, you're, not, you're not selling anything i have nothing to sell you know i have nothing to sell there's no clubs to join uh yeah. you know and, and uh, really what you're wanting people to do is is to push people back to being themselves and i think before clergy before certain types of clergy and, and religiosity and i'm not mixing that up with religion and mixing that up with religiosity and, and mm-hmm. uh where you have to go and how you have to behave and, and you know what you have to wear uh 
and be at certain times and stuff you know i, I don't need people to do that mm. i just need people to I, I would like to encourage people to find out what resonates well from them and to have the ability to express that in a non-combative non-aggressive way and to know themselves mm -hmm. you know here's how i feel here's what i would like to say uh and for people to be able to do that and i, I kind of think it'd be a cool world if we could live in a place where we could all say what we need to say and be respected for it and have that said in a non-combative way you know my practice is i like to do this mm -hmm. well that's great you knock yourself out there <laughs> you know that's that's fantastic away you go away yeah. you go and, and that doesn't mean that you should be forcing someone else to to sit in your practice yeah you know yeah. uh so and that's yeah so that's i i think this this idea of people like you and, and maybe like me or or people that are having these conversations and trying to understand this and understand ourselves and understand our place in the world uh and, and i'm just studying now on on how to best help people with that you know and that's an ongoing study i've been studying that for 20 years uh about to qualify listen to this you'll like this the, the grandioseness of my title uh, come come march i will be a practitioner of compassionate inquiry wow uh and, and what is that that is helping people compassionately inquire into what is driving them motivating them stimulating them frightening them yeah. uh and that's and uh, you know compassionately inquire yeah. is the important part uh and helping people and helping myself come to a place where they can look at themselves and be introspective and look at it all parts of themselves with compassion yeah so there is a part of me that's angry you know there's a part of me that feels abandoned there's a part of me that feels sad and feels joyous and and can be arrogant and quick-tongued and there's a part of me that can be uh flippant and frivolous and a part of me that can be serious and and um a part of me that can isolate itself and it's about looking at all all of those parts of me with compassion mm -hmm. you know and understanding and looking at helping people to look at all of those parts of themselves with compassion mm -hmm. uh, and when you can look at yourself and all those parts of yourself with compassion then that enables you to go out into the world with compassion mm -hmm. and i just think that if we could do that if i could help people do that view themselves compassionately uh you would just be living such a, in such a much nicer a world wouldn't you know a wonderful world the, the new earth again as as Tolly e calls e it you, know, talks about. Uh, you you would be living in that new earth if, if people could just uh i was going to swear on here you know people you know uh, people ask me what would i love i would love to teach the world to chill the freak yeah. out you know mm. uh that's it just chill out with yourself and with your neighbors and with the people that are close to you just chill out you know and sometimes i'm really really good at that and sometimes i'm not you know <laughs> and i have to be chilled out and compassionate to the part of me that isn't that good at it you know yeah, yeah. Uh, and compassion isn't letting yourself off the hook yeah you know it's mm. about knowing yourself and, and and growing through that and with that yeah. and alongside it how, how have your how have your family taken to your new job are we always kind of like this? I was always weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was always weird, and 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 uh, I, you know, and and it's it's probably only in the last it's probably only in the last couple of years that I've embraced that. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, stopped being embarrassed by it, 
are feeling shame around it. Uh, and you know what? Sometimes I mean I have a great I have a great uh, balancer in my wife. You know who will just say, "Rise up." <laughs> you think, "Oh, right, okay." You know, or you're, you know, you know, just point things out to you. Do you know yeah. when you just just point yeah. things out to you that, uh, yeah, you know, you may be going to save the world there, Kev, but you're still that wash that I out of the washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You think, oh, "Of course, okay, right, of great." Course. You know, uh, and that's good. You know that that's that's good. Uh, I, I suppose that's a great question. What what do my family think of that? And, and I, I suppose I don't know, Andrew. I suppose you'd maybe have to, you'd maybe have to ask them that. You know, uh, my, you know, my daughters are sixteen and fourteen, and don't take kindly to instruction <laughs> <laughs> of any sort. You know, uh, so it's trying to work out how you can guide and and. Uh, help them without giving instruction oh, you no. know and it's funny when we sit at dinner and i'll say because what about have you ever thought they're like that no <laughs> <laughs> would it no doesn't matter how, matter how enlightened you are you're just their dad <laughs> you're still their dad yeah yeah uh and you know and there's there's a great word enlightened you know and and uh trying to get around that you know trying to understand that i don't i don't i don't even know if it i don't even know if it exists andrew uh I don't even know if it exists. The best uh, we can do is just metaphor, isn't it? Yeah, and, and sometimes that that idea of just being pushed back into yourself—that analogy from earlier on—and given the given the, the the steamy windows a wipe, you know, so that you can reevaluate what's going on outside, uh, is is as best I can do. Uh, and you know, I would I would love to be able to have to derive those moments of bliss that we're all chasing. In the absolute mundane, normal, yeah, moments in life, you know, putting on your socks, or doing the dishes, or walking the dog, yeah, or and if you can find joy and bliss in those moments, which sometimes I can, yeah, and sometimes I can't, then that's that's to be enlightened, isn't mm, it? You know, of course. Uh, and f- I was chatting uh, ch- again, chatting with the, with the. The Buddhists know about this idea of enlightenment. You know, when I read about Buddha and Jesus and any then any of these other things, <coughs> again we have done that thing. We, we seem to have mixed up this idea of enlightenment in that it, it it's something to be strived for 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 lifetimes. You know, at some point you will be enlightened. You know, and it's for it's it's for the future. It's for later. Mm. It's for the next world. It's for Nirvana or the Pure yeah. Land or Heaven or wherever you're going. You know, that's that's where your enlightenment's for. You know, but when you look at people like Jesus and Buddha and these people, uh, enlightenment was like right, get the job done, get enlightened, and now get the work. Mm-hmm. Do you know it was something that that was right? Let's get enlightened now. Yeah. You know, and and then take that enlightenment out into the world. Yeah. And do work with it. Yeah. You know, it's not for the next life or the life after that. Yeah, it's to be enlightened in whatever the situation is you're looking at. No. You have a great term. You talk about co-laborers. Co-creators? Co-creators. Co-creators, yeah. yeah. Uh, co-laborers. Give me a bit word. more about that. What is co-creation? Co-creation. 
co-creation, Andrew, is the idea, I suppose it goes back to that analogy of the water bowl and, and the, the, the water balloon. The balloon. Yeah, you know, and co-creating is, is realizing that the stuff that's on the outside of you is the same stuff that's on the inside of you and that you have, you know, you have a divine right to co-create the life that you want to live. So knowing that there is an energy and a life force going on around you, but knowing that it's also going on inside you and you can interrelate and intercreate with mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You know, and that idea again of, of stripping yourself down and knowing that your your image is built in imagination and and rebuilding that. And and you have a you have a right to express that however way you see fit. Yeah. Uh, and you have an ability to express that however way you see fit. I can co-create. I can I can go out I can go out my front door now, angry and annoyed, and I'm sure I could get myself a fight in twenty minutes if I wanted one. Yeah. You know? Or I'm sure if I go out that door feeling love and compassion I could get myself a hug in twenty minutes. Mm -hmm. And and I have to understand that I have a responsibility to co create how the rest of my day is gonna go. And I think that people sometimes get caught up with this idea of, of religion and God that that it is going to be laid out in front of you. Uh, and I don't think that it is. I think that, that God or the universe or the earth or the energy, whatever you want to call that, uh, is allowing you to create the conditions to have happiness and joy and fulfillment in your life. Yeah. Uh, and it has given you the responsibility to do that you know that, that life doesn't dictate life doesn't dictate or god doesn't dictate how many leaves are on this plant sitting beside us what dictates how many leaves are on this plant is how much water and light it's given mm. uh, so if you want to say that god has put the plant there that's great uh but it's how much light and water that whatever conditions we create for it to, to grow yeah, and, and manifest yeah. that, that it either will or won't. Mm -hmm. It'll stay small, it'll grow big, it'll die, it'll, you know. Uh, and for us, that idea of co-creating is, is creating the conditions that allow yourself to fully express yourself in, 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 in the world, you know. And, and that can be frightening sometimes. That, mm. uh, so that, that's a very, sp I suppose that's a very spiritual explanation of it, Andrew. Then if you want to go to the scientific and, and neurological explanation of it is that our emotional state the chemicals that are in our body how our hippocampus and our thalamus and our uh, amygdala and our you know our vagus nervous system are working uh, can co-create illness and stresses and disease mm. dis-ease in our lives uh, and how we have a responsibility to ourselves and the people we love and to life itself to try and manage those stresses mm. and strains uh, and if we can reduce our cortisol levels if we can express our anger and express our emotion we have scientific studies now to show mm -hmm. that we will be healthier mm -hmm. that our well-being will be better uh, so we have a, a duty and a right to ourselves and this is for people who are religious or not if you've been given a life if you've been given a body and given a life then you have a a responsibility to look after that. Yeah, not even a responsibility, a gift. A gift, 
yeah, to look after a it, gift. I guess. Yeah, it's been given to you, you know, to, to, to look after and to be able to express yourself through. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think people are afraid to express that in case they get rejected or dejected or abandoned or... Uh, so co-creating is just understanding that you have an input into your life. Into your life. You know. Yeah, that life doesn't happen to you, but it happens through you. Through you, yeah, and with you, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and I like that idea that, that we have that gift to use yeah. and play with and express. Uh, and I think religiosity sometimes can make us feel that we should be very pious and serious and... Uh, you know, uh, and and I don't believe that that is. Uh, I don't believe that is true. You know, I think we can be playful and fun, uh, and energetic and and interactive, mm. uh, but still take our responsibility to ourselves and the world seriously. Yeah, you do that with a smile on your face. Yeah, you know, you can, can't you? Yeah, I would like to. I'd like to try to do yeah. that with a smile on my face. Uh, it's learning to have that hold that balance mm. of the reality of what reality is but not being overcome by it and still bringing life to the situation yeah you know allowing, li- allowing life to breathe through you and and, uh, and again you know it kind of sounds as if uh, you know I shouldn't apologise for expressing myself but it kind of sounds as if I get this right all the time. Far from it. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I, mean? I have moments of clarity, uh, and then times where I'm tired or hungry, or the kids are doing my head in, or I'm feeling that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling gnarly and growly, and and, uh, and that is what it is, you know. Uh, Your love.